Welcome to Movie Muse episode 17 and welcome to The Grid, a digital frontier. Try to picture clusters of information as they travel through the internet. What do they look like? Ships? Motorcycles? Are the signals like freeways? Well, stop dreaming of the world you thought you'd never see, because today you get in. In case you haven't guessed it, from my poorly paraphrased intro, this episode celebrates the 35th birthday of one of the most iconic films from the golden age of computing, the time when machines infiltrated our homes and offices en masse, and the modern world as we know it truly began. That film, of course, is Tron. Originally released in the USA on July 9th, 1982, it was a success with moviegoers and critics alike, and I, like many, was transfixed by the aesthetic an amazing mix of animation, early computer graphics, physical sets and live actors, and I'm still hooked today. But as always at Movie Muse, we want to strip away some of that blind devotion and re-watch films with a more critical eye, strip away the nostalgia and how does Tron stand up in today's CG-dominated blockbuster film market and how have the various sequels and side projects fared? Well, plug yourself in and we'll get started. I'm your host, Gordon Sinclair, and I fight for the users. To help me interrogate the mainframe, let me introduce you to the team. Simon Blue Rinsler Burton. Leaving. And Matt Clueless Corn. Good evening. Written and directed by Steve Lisberger and starring Jeff Bridges and Bruce Boxleitner, Tron tells the story of Kevin Flynn, a young programmer who finds himself transported inside the inner workings of a computer mainframe. Inside the system, he must interact with programs such as the titular Tron in order to escape back to the real world. Having been in development since 1976, Lisberger got his initial inspiration after seeing the early video game Pong, and with producer David Kushner, he set up an animation studio to develop his Tron concept into what was originally envisioned as a fully animated movie, creating a 30-second demo reel that featured the first appearance of the eponymous hero. Various film studios rejected the storyboards for the film until Lisberger and Kushner finally convinced Walt Disney Studios to fund and distribute a live-action Tron, combining the popular backlit animation technique of the time with the much newer computer animation techniques to give the film a unique, futuristic look to go with its fantastical sci-fi story. I originally saw Tron on its first home video release back in 83 or 84, and I think the timing was really important. In the UK, home computers were just taking off and the latest video games were talked about even more than the latest football scores in the playgrounds around the country. So a film where characters actually got to go inside the machines and compete in gladiatorial battles with a concept I couldn't get enough of. Much more than later concepts like The Lawnmower Man, Tron instilled in me a fascination for this kind of world-within-a-world sci-fi, where today's technology housed something far beyond our understanding. I'd undoubtedly credit Tron as the main reason why I'm so fascinated today with virtual reality, and whilst I can't deny that nostalgia plays a big part, Tron remains one of my all-time favourite films. It's far from perfect. It was the early 80s, so all adventure films had a massive helping of cheese, and Tron certainly had its share, and some of the acting in the early stages is pretty awful. Plus, the story has its peak far too early, and struggles to hold the tension in the second half, but I can't think of another film that's impacted my life in such a profound way. It was the perfect storm of the new age of home computing, my technological coming of age, an amazing audiovisual experience and a voyage into a world that I wanted to see more than any other. You can keep your galaxies far, far away. I wanted to go somewhere much closer. I wanted to go inside the grid. And one day in 1983, I got in. Now, 
I'm the middle child of the Movie Muse family, so it would be interesting to hear how you guys felt. Simon, you're a little older. Was the sense of wonder any less for you? No, it wasn't. It was an iconic film from my childhood. But I played video games of Tron before I actually saw the film. Because it obviously came out in 82, but just as the film was coming out, Mattel Electronics released a couple of Tron games on the television console. But we'll talk about those later. But for me, it's the futuristic graphics. And they were watchable then and still very watchable to this day. The effects hold up well. And I think back to how it must have wowed audiences at the time. There was very little else like it available. The whole premise is well-structured and intriguing. I mean, the story builds up well. You see the two worlds existing together. You see Flynn's world, and then you see the MCP and the things that are happening within the grid. The premise of the computer programs as people is a novel idea, and I think it works really well. It adds more engagement with the characters and makes you commit with them more readily. And this has been a brave idea, especially in 1982, when most of the film's audiences were only getting to grips with the technology of computers at that time, or maybe not even experienced one for themselves. It seems the story was a sort of warning to us that computers were a very powerful entity and should be treated with caution. And if misused, they could cause all sorts of mayhem. And the Tron character also portrayed them in the way that they can be used for good, and people should not be so sceptical of them. And this is very much an exercise, I think, in educating the masses on the intricacies of computers, interwoven with a good versus evil plot prevailing, and so as not to frighten the populace into thinking the fledgling computers and their networks were evil, and witchcraft, and that would be shunned. It did bring computers to the forefront of people's mindset as such was a brave move by Disney, and it makes the film a classic to me in its own right, which I find an enjoyable slice of 80s prestige, and even today I still can sit and watch Tron, and still really enjoy it, and I revel in the graphics and the sets and the sounds and everything else. My favourite part of it is the bit when Flynn's first in there, and he looks down and he sees Tron having a disc fight with the guys, I love that scene, when Tron's taking out the guys with the discs, and he goes, who's that guy? Oh, that's Tron, and he fights for the users. So, yeah, I think it's excellent. And, you know, when I did get to see the film and video around 84, it didn't let me down. But as I say, I experienced it in computer games first, which I was actually on the grid before I saw the film. That's really interesting that you say about it being a warning about computers, because that became quite a theme afterwards, that whole fascination with computers and the power that they have. Obviously, a year later, we had war games that took it to a whole new level. But I think Tron was probably the catalyst for all of those. And, yeah, that's another aspect that I hadn't thought of. Matt, you're the baby of the group, so how did Tron affect your life? Well, it's nice to be called the baby of the group at my age, but I don't think I saw Tron when I was a kid, really. I was six when it came out, and I never remember seeing the film completely until possibly even into the 90s. It wasn't a film that had any great impact on me during my childhood. I think, if anything, highlighted the interface between man and computer more. It would have been War Games or even The Last Starfighter. And as a result, I'm not really a big fan of Tron. And I've watched it a number of times and I just don't get it. I just don't get why people think it's so great. I do think it was visually spectacular, undoubtedly, for its time. And I do think that the pure CGI sequences still look pretty good now. The blue screen stuff and the sort of ray-traced animation doesn't look so good now. But the out-and-out CGI effects still hold up pretty well, I think, which is quite an achievement given that they were the first CGI effects ever done, really. The story and characters, though, to me, are really boring and almost instantly forgettable to the point where I watched Tron a week and a half ago and I couldn't tell you what the plot is now. The characters are pretty much all the same and largely non-existent in terms of any kind of interesting qualities to them. 
I also think it's kind of weird that it's a Disney film because it doesn't really seem very family friendly. It's got this family friendly premise of people living inside computers and all that kind of stuff. But it seems to have the intention of some darker sort of higher concept film, but never really realizes that probably because it was supposed to be a family friendly Disney film. So it kind of falls somewhere in between where it's got the whiz bang of the light cycle sequence, for example, but then these more sort of subtle subdued sort of things going on as well. The film has very much got the structure of a video game, which is obviously quite ironic, with various stages like the one that Simon's just mentioned, and then obviously the light cycles and various other stages where you've got to pilot one of the big tank things or whatever they are, and then eventually ending with the giant baddie that you've got to defeat. To me, it's just all style and no substance. It looks great for its time. There's just no substance to the plot or the characters at all for me. And to call it a classic, to me, is insulting to films from the same era that have an interesting plot and characters. So stuff like Star Wars, obviously Star Trek, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters all came out in similar sort of era. And they've all got that pushing the boundaries of special effects aspect to them, but also a plot and characters that stand out as well as the special effects. So to me, as I mentioned, Last Starfighter is actually a better example of this kind of genre. I find that more enjoyable than Tron. I think there's a few things I'd say in response to that. First one, Burn the Heretic, obviously. But your comment about the computer graphics elements standing up today compared to the live action and animated sequences... I'm completely the opposite with you. I think that the non-CGI stuff is far better and stands up far stronger today because we are looking at something from 30 years ago. Even if I'm watching it today, I don't need it to have today's quality of animation and that kind of thing because it's telling me a story from 35 years ago. So I find all the disco light stuff is far better than the computer animated stuff that looks quite generic to me. And I'm not sure it actually needed the CGI. I mean, it's great that it was a groundbreaking film and it was the first film film to have large chunks of cgi in it is it 25 minutes or something in total the cgi animated sequences add up to i actually don't think it needs any of that in the film and i love the truer kind of aesthetic to it the plot goes a bit round in circles a little bit and it doesn't develop as well as it could and i think you know a modern scriptwriter could do much better but we'll get on to tron legacy later and you know i might be contradicting myself when we talk about that But the characters are forgettable, I think you said, or something on those lines. And I can't agree with that at all. Can't agree with that about Flynn, about Tron, about any of the characters that are in there. I think Tron, to me, had just as many fantastic characters that I wanted toys of and I wanted to be in that world of as possibly the first Star Wars, if you take away the cantina scene. Well, as I said... I don't think I watched it till late 80s, early 90s, although I was obviously aware of it. The light cycle sequence in particular has cropped up in numerous video games that I would have played when I was a kid. But this goes back to this conversation we had a few podcasts ago. Does nostalgia cloud your vision of things? Or if you don't have the nostalgia, does it give you a different perspective? And I think this is an example of that where you guys were obviously there at the time and really enjoyed it, whereas I wasn't. And so my view of it, rightly or wrongly, is a little bit different. Yeah, and my final point about what you'd said is probably on that same theme, but it's not about nostalgia for the film itself. It's the time it was released. 
And as I said earlier on, that it was very important to me that I saw it just as computers were hitting the home in the UK and computer games were suddenly becoming this big thing. I know I'm only a couple of years older than you, but experiencing that first burst of computers into the homes and into our lives in that way, it made it kind of the right time for that film. And if you missed that, I think you possibly are at a bit of a disadvantage or the film is going to struggle to have the same kind of wonder as it did for maybe me and Simon. Yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, I did have a computer in 1982 or 83. I had a BBC Micro and I probably played a light cycle game on it. At that point, I probably didn't know what film it was from because yeah. I missed, like you say, that pivotal moment of when the film came out. And as a six-year-old, you wouldn't have appreciated it in the same way as you know me as a nine-year-old and Simon as an 11-year-old or whatever it was. Indeed, I can accept that. A question, though, I've always wondered this about it. Why do you think they decided to call it Tron? when Tron isn't even the main character in the film, really. I mean, is there any other franchise named after what's effectively a secondary character? I think the key point there is that it wasn't a franchise when well, it was suppose, released. Yeah. And, and Tron was, you know, the important character and he was maybe not the hero of the film, but the hero of the grid. And I can understand it for that first film, but I do think they must have kicked themselves a little bit 28 years later when they had to work out how to make Tron part of it again, when actually it's not really Tron's story, it's Flynn's story. Yeah, I just think in retrospect, they probably should have called it The Grid rather than Tron, but that probably wouldn't have been marketed as well. But the thing about the name is Tron just sounds so much cooler than the name of the film. The word Tron does what it's supposed to do from a marketing perspective and from the film it's just that name it's it is almost futuristic in itself at the time so yeah i think tron without seeing the film is the best name you'd have to see the film to understand it being called the grid and i don't think the grid would have had the same hook as tron did so yeah i think they made the right decision it's just it hamstrung them a little bit later on Okay, well, we've all given our thoughts on the most important sci-fi film of my childhood. So now it's time to give our ratings. And I'm going to rate this on the quality of the film today more than the nostalgia, as I said we should do. So I'm not looking at the wonder it created or any of that. I'm looking at what I think of it as a film by my standards today. Being one of my favourite films of all time, I'd love to give it five stars. But it does run out of steam too early in the film, so I'm going to rate Tron three and a half stars. Simon? It still brings such a flash of nostalgia, and there's something about it that just really gives me a warm feeling. And I, I, from that perspective, I'm going to rate it four stars. Thank you. Matt? I'll rate it the only way that I can, which is the way I've always felt about it, so it's two and a half stars for me. Thank you. So that gives us an average score of 3.3 stars for the original Tron. Now let's move on to the music that accompanied the film. The soundtrack for Tron was written by pioneering electronic musician Wendy Carlos, who also created the soundtracks to many other films, including Clockwork Orange and The Shining. It featured analogue and digital synthesizers, as well as non-electronic pieces performed by the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And American Band Journey also provided two tracks, and they were drafted in at the last minute after Supertramp pulled out of the project. The soundtrack's been released many times over the years, and there's also an additional album featuring dialogue, music and sound effects from the film. But we've all listened to the standard OST. Anyone got any thoughts on Wendy Carlos's efforts? Uh, yeah, I listened to it one and a bit times, I think. 
I don't think it holds up very well today. Again, it probably seemed okay at the time. It's got a very 80s sound to it, as you'd expect from the 80s, I suppose. I found it fairly boring, electronic synth music. Much like the film, it was kind of instantly forgettable for me. Strangely, it actually seems more suited to a Disney cartoon movie than this film. It didn't seem very technological. It just kind of sounded a bit wishy-washy at times. And a lot of the themes sounded more like something from a Disney cartoon with princesses or animal characters in. Even the two Journey songs are completely unmemorable and I quite like some of the Journey stuff from that era. So yeah, for me, it didn't stand out at all and I'd give it two out of five stars. Okay. Out of interest, your comments there, are they based on listening to it as part of the film or standalone? That was standalone. It didn't seem out of place in the film, to be fair, but listening to some of those themes outside of the film, they just didn't really seem to suit the film with that sort of subject matter. Okay, fair enough. Simon? I think it was a pretty good soundtrack for me. With a mixture of classical music, a typical Disney sort of classical music, some of the tracks and more modern synth sounds give it a bit of modern up-to-date for 1982 sort of sound that fits the subject, I think. The two Journey tracks, I wasn't so keen on those. The 1990s sounds a bit out of date there, to be honest. I did like the couple of tracks, especially the one called Magic Landings and the one called The Light Sailor. I, I like those, it seemed to fit the subject again. I think the score fits the film perfectly, to be honest. I think it's listenable. Don't know if it's strong enough to, if you want to listen to it outside of the film. You know, for me, it's still a reasonably good and listenable soundtrack of uh, typical Disney sort of sound with a bit of more modern bits on it. I'm going to give it three stars. Okay, thank you. As you know, I'm quite a fan of soundtracks, particularly scores more than soundtracks. And I think it fits the movie really well. I think watching it as part of the movie, it's quite seamless. Apart from maybe the Journey songs, which I don't think were necessary and I believe were put in there on the insistence of Disney. But the problem with it is that that style of electronic music hasn't aged as well as others have. So it does come across a little bit out of place if you listen to it away from the film. So I wouldn't put Tron anywhere near my list of favourite scores of all time. But I would still give... Wendy Carlos, three out of five for the Tron soundtrack. You mentioned the 1990s theme, Simon. That is hilarious, really, because that's obviously what Journey thought music from the 1990s might sound like in 1982, and they got it very, very wrong. (laughs) Okay, well, that gives us an average score of 2.7, which is a little bit disappointing, if I'm honest, but we'll give Wendy Carlos a juice. It was the 1980s, and music and life has moved on quite a lot since then. We finished with the original Tron movie now, and it's time to look at the sequel. After another typically long production, and almost 30 years after the original film was released, Tron Legacy launched at the end of 2010. With stars Bridges and Box Lightner both reprising the roles, Legacy informs us that eight years after the original film, Kevin Flynn, now the CEO of Encom, mysteriously disappears and is not seen or heard of for the next 20 years. In that time, Encom has become a billion-dollar business, but the primary shareholder, Flynn's son Sam, has little interest and has taken to carrying out an annual prank on the business to mark his father's disappearance. After bailing Sam out of prison following his latest stunt, Flynn's ex-business partner tells Sam of a strange message on a long-disconnected pager, and Sam duly investigates, only to find himself transported into the grid, and there he must fight the programmes loyal to the system dictator. Legacy borrows from and builds on many of the themes from the original Tron, but thanks to the stunning visuals and acclaimed soundtrack from French electro duo Daft Punk and fresh new acting talent from the likes of Garrett Hedlund and Olivia Wilde, it feels brand new. Again, the film isn't perfect, and just as before, the last third of the film struggles to keep pace. Probably the biggest concern, however, is the de-aging of Jeff Bridges for the character Clue. 
This is a story where Clue, being a digital representation of Flynn, is perfectly acceptable. But unfortunately, we're caught between the CGI looking too real to be deliberately digitised and not real enough to be actually real. And that causes some kind of brain melt for me. And I end up staring at Clue's face rather than thinking about what's going on. I really struggled with that bit. But the evolution of the grid is no less wondrous and modern updates of the light cycles and the discs battle arenas are every bit as satisfying as they should be. And even Michael Sheen puts in a great performance as a Bowie slash Frankenfurter club owner. Overall, I think Legacy lived up to my expectations for a sequel. Maybe it didn't live up to my hopes, but certainly to my expectations. But the main thing is the grid's still alive and it's still active and I really hope we get to visit it there again soon. What about you, Matthew? Well, I agree with a lot of what you've said there. Much like the original, it looks really good and the updated graphical style is great. But again, for me, it's a little bit style over substance. The story, as you said, is pretty similar to the original with a lot of the same sequences, albeit maybe not in quite the same order. The light cycle duel is really good, really well done. I found the plot similarly boring, unfortunately, to the original Tron. They're all kind of in this world, but none of them seems to be having any fun in it. And I think that's my problem with it is basically there's not a lot of humour in it. It's just a bit serious and in that sort of world you just feel like maybe they should be having a bit more fun. The CG de-aging of Jeff Bridges as Clue, as you mentioned, is pretty bad in the environment that he inhabits. He's obviously supposed to be a computerised thing anyway, so it sort of didn't bother me too much. Jeff Bridges as Kevin Flynn, however, is a bit of a joke to me. I think virtually every character he's played since The Big Lebowski, he just seems to become a variant of his dude character from that film. And there's a bit in Tron Legacy where... He says something like, stop killing my zen, dude. don't know the exact line, but basically it just sounds like the dude from The Big Lebowski and not Kevin Flynn. So, I don't know, he just didn't work for me at all. And also, if he's this top-notch programming genius, shouldn't he have been able to work out how to outthink the programs in the game world and get out? I just felt like he wasn't trying hard enough to get out of there and it just seemed a bit contrived, I suppose. There's a couple of characters mentioned that this world's like perfection. Well, if it's perfection, why is it always dark? You'd think a perfect world would have a bit of daylight. And there's also these barren organic wastelands, but it's supposed to be a digital world. And if it was created or formed by digital things, you'd think it would all be digital. And yet, for some reason, it's got these dirty wastelands out in the outskirts of the city. So all that stuff didn't really sit very well with me. I do think story-wise, it's probably marginally better than the original for me. And it's definitely redeemed a bit by the presence of some very sexy ladies in it. But ultimately, not even Olivia Wilde in a skin-tight suit can save this from mediocrity. Well, as normally happens, I've got a few issues with what you've said. I can't accept that you think that the programs should be having more fun. You think in your computer that the programs that somebody's given a routine to follow should be off having fun and not doing what you're asking them to do. None of them are following a routine. They're all just doing their own thing. And the point was that characters said that this world was a perfect world. How can it be a perfect world if it's all oppressed by this nasty Clue guy? It wasn't like that originally. Clue took over and forced this enslavement on them the other point is around the wastelands and the organic and you know this should be digital perfection but some of that is covered particularly when olivia wilde's character who i think is possibly the sexiest movie character ever on film when cora comes into the film a lot of that's explained around the isos this is not supposed to happen this is something that's happened against the plan so i think some of that is kind of discussed when they talk about the isos and obviously that's what causes clue to destroy them because of this beautiful power that's suddenly been created out of nothing but i mean asking for daylight in a computer world is a bit much don't you think 
I don't know. I was just sitting there watching and going, why is it always dark? Because they were talking about it being night time. And I'm like, well, it's never light. Jeff Bridges, at one point, he goes to bed. And it's like, well, why are you suddenly tired and going to bed in this digital world where everything's alive all the time? I don't know. It was just bollocks, basically. <laughs> um, Simon, what were your thoughts on Tron Legacy? Well, I can follow all that. I liked it. It is just a reworking of the original on a bit of a larger scale, I think. I like the setting and the look of the film. CGI was obviously more advanced than the 1982 original. I like the fact it sticks and pays much homage to the lip service to the original, as it should, in my opinion. And it is truly a follow-up. The settings and up-to-date grid, again, as it should be, due to the advancement of computers over time and the way Clue advanced out of the ruins of the original MCP. No real surprises or plot twists, really, and it all moves along as you would expect. But again, I love the atmosphere generated and the graphics and effects were very well done. I think it's a worthy update. I don't think it's as good as Tron, but I think it's what you would have expected from an updated Tron. Okay, well, let's go around and give our scores. If it wasn't for the slightly dull third act, I'd be singing Tron Legacy's praises all day. I think the first hour is just stunning, up to the point where Cora's arm gets chopped off. I think the film's fantastic, but then when we go off onto this Star Sailor or whatever it's called that flies them to try and escape, I just found that whole ending piece detracted from what was an absolutely brilliant film up to that point. So it's another one that I don't like scoring it down, but I'm going to have to give it three and a half stars, the same as the original. Matt, do you want to let us down now? <laughs> yeah, boring nonsense, two and a half stars. Simon? You know, it's just a good update of the original, but I'll give it three stars. Right then, so that gives us an average score of three out of five for Tron Legacy. Not quite as good as the original, but still quite a good score, especially when we've got a big detractor on our team. I do have a theory as to why I'm not a fan of Tron as well. Mm. I realised this after I watched them both again. I think it's because I'm a computer programmer by profession and I know that programming computers and computer programs are incredibly boring and... (laughs) There's no way this stuff's actually happening. There's nothing can make computer programming exciting, not even Tron. And I think that's why I'm just not a fan of it, because I just think it's bullshit, basically. (laughs) Okay, so that's a fair comment, one that I can't argue with, having no programming skills at all. Right then, let's talk about the soundtrack. I recently ran a poll on the Tron Lives Facebook group, and if you want to chat to 2,500 Tron fans, sign yourself up to the Tron Lives Facebook group. And I put a poll on there to ask which was the best-loved soundtrack from Tron. So we had Tron, Tron Legacy, the Legacy Remix album, and the Tron Uprising cartoon soundtrack. And it was very little surprise to see that Legacy took over 70% of the vote and won by an absolute mile. And a big part of my enjoyment of Tron Legacy is the soundtrack and the way that Daft Punk fused their trademark electronica with orchestral themes. And it's just beautifully realised. The soundtrack is full of deliberate and delicious repetition, echoing the loops and routines of the digital world, while the futuristic orchestral elements give me goosebumps every time I listen to it. And I don't think I've heard a more complete score in quite some time. So I'm a huge fan of the Tron Legacy soundtrack. I am a Daft Punk fan outside of Tron, but not really their newer, more commercial stuff. So to see them doing something more recent that has been this good has also given me a lot of faith in them as a band. So what about you, Simon? As you know, I'm not a massive OST fan, but I was quite looking forward to it when I first saw it was Daft Punk going to be producing it. But ultimately, it left me a bit disappointed, to be honest. I just found it quite tedious as a standalone listen with all the tracks sounding very similar. Not much in the way of it sounding very Daft Punky, to be honest. That said, there are a few tracks that stood out. End of Line is very good, as is Disc Wars. And Urena does make you imagine the vast arena filled with maddening crowd baying for blood, or in this case, pixels. To be fair, I did like it more on a second edition, which I listened to today. I just think overall, I expect Daft Punk to come up with a bit more Daft Punky, as I said, and not 
artist and a classical fair, but I suppose you can't have that in a film just of no bare tracks. So I can see why it was done that way. It wasn't as bad as on my first listen, but overall I was a bit disappointed. Okay, fair points, Matt. I've listened to it a few times actually. I listened to it twice before I watched the film, and then watched the film, and then listened to the soundtrack mostly again. In some ways, I feel very similar to what Simon said. And a lot of people have raved about it, not just you. There's a guy I work with who's a really big fan of this soundtrack as well. I'm not a massive techno or dance music fan, but I don't mind some of the earlier Daft Punk stuff. So I was looking forward to listening to it, just like Simon. And I think, having listened to it a few times, it works very, very well as a soundtrack in the film. But as a standalone album, I found it quite disappointing. And again, like Simon, it just didn't really sound like something Daft Punk would do. The main theme from the film features in about three or four tracks, I think, and it got to the point where it's getting a bit tedious to hear it again, although I have to say it has been stuck in my head ever since. It reminded me a little bit of a theme from Assault on Precinct 13 by another electronic music maestro, John Carpenter. There's a track on that soundtrack called Julie's Theme, and it's very similar to the main Tron theme. It's probably just coincidence. I'm not suggesting they plagiarised it in any way. But yeah, I found it quite repetitive, which is something you highlighted as a good thing, but to me that wasn't. And many of the tracks are almost sort of incidental music or seem like the intros to a track that isn't complete and it just goes nowhere. And the one Simon mentioned, the arena, was a prime example of that because I was really enjoying the first minute of it and then it ended and I just felt like just carry on and do a bit more it may not have all been in the film but it would have been nice just to continue that track a little bit overall much like the films it's a bit boring for the most part but as I said it does work well within the film Okay, that's fair enough. It's quite interesting you mentioned the main theme sounding like Assault on Precinct 13 because I've been racking my brain trying to work out what that sounded like and I'm going to have to go back and have a listen to that soundtrack now and see if that is what was in my head. So, good spot if that's correct. As we're focusing more on this soundtrack than the others, let's pick out a standout track from the album. I'm going to cheat a little and I'm going to go with the end credits theme and that's because it layers elements of other tracks from the score, particularly the one that Matt said, the main theme that runs throughout but what I really like about it is the use of this really dirty electronic distortion noise over the top and it reminds me of classic Daft Punk from the homework period and whenever I watch the film I always stay to the end of that song during the credits and then I can turn it off as soon as that finishes so my favourite track from that is the end credits theme. Simon do you have a standout track? Yeah, my one's the early track. It's not a long track, unfortunately, but it's Son of Flynn. It's very electronic. It's good out in the sea of mostly classical music, obviously. It reminded me of early days like Commodore 64 style, and albeit short, I had it humming in my head afterwards, which is obviously a good thing, so it must have been memorable to me. So uh, that was my standout piece of music. Thank you, Simon. Matt, have you got a standout track, or were they all just too boring for you? No, they weren't all boring. It had a few moments, and I think my favourite track was End of Line, which had a bit more going on than a lot of the tracks although it wasn't one of the longer tracks on the album to be fair but it sounded like a complete song it definitely had an 80s vibe to it I think as well not as terrible 80s like the Tron score but good 80s I don't know maybe like Human League kind of sound or something like that I don't know I can't quite put my finger on it but it definitely sounded 80s and it also had some computery sort of blips and beeps going on during it which I thought fitted the theme of the album and the film quite well so yeah end of line Okay, well, let's see what our ratings are for the Tron Legacy soundtrack by Daft Punk. I listen to Legacy often in the car or whilst working, and my iTunes count shows well over 50 plays for virtually all the tracks on that album. So I can hardly rate it high enough, and I'm going to give it the first ever full five stars since we started reviewing soundtracks. So knock yourself out. You can't knock the score down that much. 
Simon? The first three I probably would have been lower, but on my second listen, I might even give it another try. But I'm going to give it two and a half stars. <laughs> Matt? Amazingly, I'm not going to be the one giving it the lowest rating for this particular segment then. I think the more you listen to it, probably the better it gets. And some of those more frustrating songs kind of get forgotten about and you just focus on the ones that do stand out. So from the listens I've had and the fact that it fits in well with the film, three stars. Okay, thank you. So that gives Tron Legacy three and a half out of five, which puts it joint second with When the Wind Blows behind the awesome Rocky Four. <laughs> which is an absolute travesty because it's a hundred times better than Rocky Four, but never mind. It's all Simon's fault, that one. You can't blame me for that. Right then, knowing that both of you struggled with the lack of actual fully realised songs on the album, I wonder if the remix album that was released as Tron Legacy Reconfigured a year after the film will be more to your taste. Reconfigured sees a number of tracks remixed by famous, semi-famous and virtually unheard of acts like Moby, Paul Oakenfold and somebody called Comtrues. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I certainly haven't. And these remixes turn some of the score elements into fully-fledged tracks. And I think it's a pretty strong effort, even if it is too dubstep for my liking. I do enjoy it. I do listen to it in the car every now and again. And I would give Tron Legacy Reconfigured three and a half stars. What about you, Matt? Techno music, as I mentioned, is largely not my thing. But the remixes do add a bit more variety than the original soundtrack, as you suspected, I might think. Some of it is completely unlistenable to my ears. I just couldn't hack some of it at all. And again, it did start to get boring with the same bass tunes being remixed. I think a couple of them were on there maybe two or three times. But there are definitely a few interesting moments. The remixes by the more well-known artists such as Crystal Method and Moby are probably the best of the bunch for me. And I'll give it, again, three stars. Simon, what did you think? Yeah, this was better. It was better use of Daft Punk, but the best funky dance tracks using the OST as the source material. And obviously, like the remixes of Summer Flynn and End of Life, I like them in the original OST, and I think the remixes are pretty good. There's a couple of I think they've gone there twice each, but I, I did like the differences. It does get a little bit repetitive in the track composition, but it is listenable nonetheless. It's not really to my musical taste, but it complements and does. I mean, the Evans original OST, I think. I'll give it three stars. So that gives Tron Legacy reconfigured an average of 3.2 stars from the Movie Muse team. So we've covered all of the movie output. There have been a few side projects and there's been a manga comic, which I haven't had a look at, so I can't comment on. But there was also a animated TV series, Tron Uprising, that aired on Disney XD in 2012-2013. 19 episodes were produced of the show and it follows Beck, a young program who eventually leads a revolution against Clue and his henchmen. Trained by Tron in fighting and light cycle skills, Beck adopts Tron's persona and becomes an enemy of General Tesla and his oppressive forces fighting for Clue. The voice cast is led by Elijah Wood as Beck, and it also brings a number of characters from the films, most notably Bruce Boxleitner as Tron and Olivia Wilde as the last ISO, Cora. With a distinct art style and characters designed by longtime Gorillaz animated artist Robert Valley, it's visually striking and it got a good critical reaction. And although a new series has never been commissioned, Disney haven't officially cancelled the show. Now, I'm a big fan of Uprising. The younger lead characters add a freshness and the idea that Tron, just like James Bond, Doctor Who, or even our well-loved Ace Rimmer, is just a persona and that he can go on and on even when the current host can't is an uplifting thought. And I was really shocked that a second series wasn't commissioned, but I would definitely watch if one did. I think it takes the story in nice new directions, and I think that there's a massive scope for taking those stories further. But what do you think, Matt? 
Well, I regret to inform you that I didn't watch any episodes of Tron Uprising, as there's only so much Tron I'm willing to waste my life on. I was hoping to catch the first episode before we recorded the podcast, but I ran out of time, unfortunately. Okay, well, that's fair enough. I actually think you would probably enjoy it more than actual Tron. In fairness, when I realised it was only 20-odd minutes per episode, it was more intriguing to me. I was expecting it to be at least 30 or possibly 45-minute episodes. When I realised it was a bit shorter, I was more interested and also i do like star wars rebels which is another disney xd production so i know they can do some good stuff so i'm a little bit disappointed i didn't have time to watch it but maybe i'll try an episode at some point i do think that you'll probably get more out of it i think it does feel a little bit more modern and i think it's got more of a hook and i think it needs to have it because it's on the disney channel for a start so it needs to bring the kids in but i think it's still telling a reasonably grown-up story but what about you simon did you watch tron uprising yeah, I watched all of them. I've got to say, it's a revelation to me. It was excellent. I really loved it. Probably more than the films, to be honest. The animation was excellent. The art style was good. The day you said about Gorillas, I thought I'd seen the star before, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It really captures the feel of the Tron world. I like the whole premise of the world in the grid and its networks and transport hubs. The characters are all very good. I particularly like the interaction between the two sets of good and evil, the bad guys like Tesla, Page and Pablo, and the garage gang of Beck, Zed and Mara. You know, there's humour as well, which I like. There's also morality in the script. I like the way the renegade has to learn Tron and then learns from his own experiences along the way. It makes it believable and realistic life story, really. All in all, it's a great series, one I'd recommend, especially the way it ends. Surely another series must be made. I love that ending, but it just begs to be made into the next series. You can't leave it just like that. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Simon. For what is, in effect, a kids' show, I thought it was very cleverly written, and I can't believe that it's been now, what, four years, and we still haven't had a second series. I hope that they finally do. And yeah, just like you, before I read about it, I was looking at that art style, thinking it was really reminiscent of something, and it's the videos to the Gorillas songs. You know, it's those long-legged characters where everything's pushed up to the top, and, and they've got these huge legs on them. But in Tron, they don't look as ridiculous. So, yeah. I was really impressed with that. Now, with TV shows, what we usually do is rate them on whether we would continue watching. So, Matt, you haven't watched it, but based on our opinions and your thoughts of the show, would you watch Tron Uprising? Well, I would have to say yes, I'll at least watch the first episode. I think one thing to point out is that first episode is, I think it's 30, 35 minutes long. Um, (gasps) No, that might be too much for me then, I'm afraid. (laughs) The first episode is kind of a pilot, and then you go into the 18, 20-minute episodes after that. And I would also say that the first episode is nowhere near as good as once it gets going properly. I've changed my mind now then. (laughs) So please watch two episodes to get a proper opinion. Simon, I assume if a Neutron Uprising was announced, you'd be there watching it with me? Yeah, definitely. Can't let that ending go without seeing what happens. Absolutely. So I think that says that there's a big thumbs up from the Movie Muse team to continue with Tron Uprising. All that's left to talk about now then is the soundtrack to Tron Uprising. Having worked on the arrangement for Daft Punk's Tron Legacy soundtrack, Joseph Trapanese was an obvious choice to score Uprising, and he seamlessly extended that body of work. If I'm being critical, I'd say that it's a little too close to Legacy, and the title track lacks any real substance, but it fits well with the action, and I can listen to it as a standalone album without feeling cheated. So I'm less of a fan, but still a fan, of Joseph Trapanese's work. What about you, Simon? 
This is the only bit that disappointed me in that rising. It's all pretty much classical music and really should only be listened to in the context of the incidental background music I watch in the series to me. Wasn't overly impressed with it, to be honest, and I wouldn't really listen to that again. Okay. Matt, I assume you didn't get a chance to listen to this? Well, actually, I did. Oh. Because I was listening to the other soundtracks at work, so I thought I'd have a listen to that one. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I probably listened to about the first five or six tracks, and I think overall, to my ears, it sounded a little bit better than the Daft Punk album, (laughs) mainly because in contrast to what Simon's just said I like a more orchestral score and that's what it sounds like it sounded like the Daft Punk music done with a full orchestra even though I suspect it's all synthesised I don't think there's actually an orchestra doing it I couldn't really be bothered to listen to the whole thing but what I listened to was reasonably pleasing to my ears Okay, well, as all three of us have listened to it, let's give it an official Movie Muse rating. I enjoyed it. I wish it wasn't quite as derivative as it is, but I actually listened to it just before the podcast, and I found some of the later tracks on the album really good, and you've probably missed them, Matt, by turning it off. So I'm going to give it three out of five. Simon? Disappointing for me, but I'll give it two stars. Matt? Based on what I listened to, I will give it two and a half. Okay, so that gives us an average score of 2.5. Okay, so we've covered all of the major releases in the Tron universe, so all that's left really is to talk about where Tron could go from here. Tron 3 has been on-off for quite some time, and as I understand it, at least a couple of outline scripts have been produced. I'm in two minds where I would like Tron 3 to go, if anywhere. Sam and Cora in the real world is interesting and could make for a great story, but is that a Tron film? I'm not sure it is, and I'm not sure I would want to waste the Tron license on a real-world film. So I think I would most like to see an exploration of Flynn's time trapped in the grid. So how did Clue become so dominant? How did Flynn get banished? All the themes that were touched on in Legacy, but fleshed out. I see that 20-year period as the greatest scope to continue the franchise. So that's probably, from a film perspective, where I would go with Tron. Because it's quite clear Tron isn't dead as a franchise. Disney have already announced some Tron attractions for their theme parks. So Tron will continue, and that almost certainly means more films. So what about you, Matt and Simon? Where could the films go next, or do you want them to go anywhere next? I wouldn't mind seeing another film following on from Legacy. I don't usually don't want to see a real-world film, but I just think somehow it would be quite cool for Clue to become that powerful that he can transpose his armies into the real world. I'd love to see a fleet of recognisers hassling New York or something. It'd be just quite fun. Somehow the transposes him from film being zapped into his world to him being able to get out into the outside world. But that would be something a bit different, maybe. They could also make more of Uprising and make that into an actual film and not just in the cartoon. A film version of Uprising would be fun if we did the whole thing or they just could make it into one long story. It's definitely the second series of Uprising, that ending, and not sure how many other media could be utilised to expand the further Tron story other than maybe open world computer games. I don't know about other series and spin-offs, but there's potential there. I don't think the Tron franchise is dead. I think they could still come up with something good. Where would I like to see the Tron universe go? I'd like to see it go away. I'm just not interested in Tron. I can't explain why. Given how geeky I am and how into computers I am, I should love Tron, but I just don't, and I don't care about it. However, to be a little bit more serious, and you have just mentioned the Disney plans to build a light cycle-themed roller coaster at Disney World in Florida. They've already built one at Shanghai Disneyland. I'd love to ride that. I've ridden the motorcycle launch coaster at Flamingoland up in North Yorkshire, which is the same technology, and that's really good fun. So I'm sure they're absolutely 
absolutely brilliant with the Tron theming and a Tron based world in a theme park would be pretty cool I think there's definitely scope for some of the other aspects of Tron to become some kind of themed dark ride or something like that so I would definitely visit a Tron land if I went to Disney World or Disneyland Paris or wherever even though I'm not a fan of the films. Okay, I would say that beyond what's already been said, and obviously Simon's already mentioned that I'd love to see Beck's journey continue in another series of Uprising, but I think it's now time for Tron to embrace virtual reality. Now that technology's caught up enough to actually let us go inside the grid, then that's surely got to be where Disney are looking. And whether that's some virtual reality exhibit at a theme park, whether it's a movie I can watch on PSVR or Oculus Rift, or whether it's a game, I don't mind. But I think that's where Tron needs to go. We can be in the grid, so why aren't we already? I'm talking about being in the grid, playing inside the Tron world. There's been plenty of Tron games. I'm not particularly that knowledgeable about the Tron games. I've played a few of them, but not many. But Simon, I think you're probably our resident expert on Tron games. So do you want to give us your opinion on the ones that you've played? Yeah, obviously, when Tron came out, consoles like the Atari 2600 and the Intellivision were the main systems in people's houses at the time. And Mattel decided that they wanted their system to have some Tron games. The first two games they pulled out were Tron Deadly Discs and Trades of Tron. Deadly Discs is one of my favourite games of all time, and it's based on the bit where Tron is on the grid, battling out with the discs and taking down the rivals from the MCP. The Intellivision game is just basically, they run around on a grid, they've got gates where the soldiers come in, you destroy the soldiers and block the exit door, after so many times that you break the doors the recognizer comes in to fix them and you can take them out of the very carefully placed disc and then eventually after a million points these red soldiers appear with these laser poles they just chase you and the minute they touch you with this pole you're dead so you can't just sit around which is good Mazatron is a really strange game. It's all about getting the code to bring down the MCP and you're like on a circuit board and you've got to reach a certain point in the computer where you can put this code in and join up the network and bring online different areas of it, eventually overpowering the MCP. It's hard, quite complex, more than it looks. Not, I would say, a great fun game to play. Then when Mattel brought out a speech synthesizer, the Mattel Intellivoice, one of the games they brought out was called Tron Solar Sailor. This is based on the light sail ship and you've got to get through the grid and again just get to one point to another without being killed and you again bring down the MCP and it's got a bit of speech in it and stuff like that. Again, it's a little bit complex, but it is quite good. And obviously there's arcade games that Matt probably speak more about. The one I remember playing is Discs of Tron and you've got the disc on floating platforms and you've obviously used the bounce and come off the walls as well to try and kill the other person. It's the only one I've ever played. I think Discs of Tron was the second Tron arcade game. The first one is based on four sequences from the film, including the light cycles. There's one with tanks and I can't remember what the other two are. They're all fairly average mini games, I suppose you'd call them, with like a central hub where you move from one to the other. But the best thing about that arcade machine is the cabinet is absolutely gorgeous. It's probably one of the best looking arcade cabinets ever made. The controls are like a flight stick with a fire button on and also a dial. So this is something you cannot really play in MAME because it's just got such convoluted controls. And all the controls are all like this translucent plastic and then they've got a UV light shining through them. So it looks absolutely fantastic. It's not a particularly good game to be honest. 
but it's a sexy cab. There's also an environmental discs of Tron where you sit inside it and it's got surround sound and stuff like that, which I've never seen, but that's a very desirable arcade machine as well. Have either of you played any of the more modern games? There was a game released not long after Tron Legacy, the PS3, I can't remember what it was called, which I remember buying when it first came out and then never playing and selling it. But there's also another game that's out at the moment called Tron Run R, or Runner, I assume you're supposed to say run slash r and that's an endless runner kind of game where there's parts where you're running as tron i assume or you're riding a light cycle and there's all sorts of things going on it looks a bit like the kind of vr stuff we're getting from jeff minter at the moment or reminiscent of things like res and it looks fun and i'd rush out to buy it if it wasn't for the fact that it was 20 pounds which i actually think is an amazing amount of money for an endless runner that you usually play on your mobile phone has anybody played any of the more recent tron games no i haven't i was reading about them there's a tron 2.0 game for the pc that was released in the 90s sometime i think or maybe early 2000s which was commissioned by the guy that directed the first film so it was considered a continuation of the tron story until they made tron legacy but that's all i know about it i've never played it anybody got anything else they want to say about tron before we move on you do know there's a couple of easter eggs in it you do know when he starts looking at one of his control panels pac-man's going around on it in the film yeah in the original yeah, film yeah and yeah. when the lights ship is going across to see below it is Mickey Mouse's head. I've read that but I've never noticed it while I've been watching. It is on there yeah just the big Mickey Mouse head just in the shape of the base underneath where it's flying over. I absolutely hate that idea. <laughs> okay well thanks guys for your opinions and thanks Matt for destroying my childhood. Before we de-res, there's just enough time for Simon to let us know about our next special feature podcast. Right. When an adult gamer of a certain age, and I mean a certain age, I mean of the PlayStation generation, is asked to name an iconic game character, normally only one screens to mind, and that is a certain young lady by the name of Lara Croft, and powerhouse of gaming character that has been a symbol of the new generation of gaming media. From the early PlayStation games to blockbuster movies, the movie news team will explore the world of Lara, raid a few tombs of knowledge, explore the culture of core designs, creation, and the effect and lasting legacy of Miss Croft and her influence on the gaming, film and merchandise industries and beyond. So we'd like you to join us for our exploration and we may find the treasure at the end of the final level. Thanks for that, Simon. We'll see you soon.